0: This is The Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones.
1: Aloha, everybody, and welcome to The Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones, and uh, today we have a special emergency podcast episode, The Great John Zmirak. Uh, senior editor over there at the stream called me and he said, you need to have me on and I wanna discuss my new article. And I, I read the article out loud to my wife and she said, okay, I give in, we can become Muslim. I don't know why my wife always, I read the Quran, I have a lot of Muslim friends. She always assumes I wanna become Muslim. And before I bring John in, by the way, this episode is being brought to you by My Pillow which has a special on Giza Dream Sheets right now, two for one, and uh, I love these sheets. In fact, my son was seeing, watched a commercial on a tempur bed, and he said to my wife, I wish we could have one of those, and my wife was like, we do have a tempur bed. And he goes, we have a tempur bed and Giza Dream Sheets? That's amazing, and it is quite an amazing way to live. You can live that way, too, by going to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, use the code JONES, and you get two for one. Okay, I'm going to bring in the great John Smirak. By the way, everywhere I go, all over the world, people used to say, Do you, know, you know Eduardo Verastegui? You know Jim Caviezel? Now, they're like, y- you're friends with John Smirak? The guy's blowing up. All right, here we go. John, welcome to the show. But before you come in, I have a special song, okay? We're going to welcome you in with this song, this beautiful song here.
0: You think we're (laughs) sinful. You fight against our rights. You say we all lead lives you can't respect. But you're just frightened. You think that we'll corrupt your kids if our agenda goes unchecked
1: is that enough john or should we keep going
0: i'm sorry i can't hear the music so uh, you have to tell me what it is the oh. magic of technology
1: oh okay so it was that song in your article we will convert oh. your children.
0: Oh, I was hoping it was something wholesome by the dead by the dead Kennedys. But um, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. So let's talk about this. I want right. to talk about this, especially within the 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 church. Okay, okay. now that little choir, I I, I have yeah, I didn't set them. it up.
1: So let's <laughs> tell people what they were just listening to.
0: Okay, that is the San Francisco Registered Sex Offenders Chorus. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Their official name is the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. However, when they put out this video about corrupting our kids into sodomy, um, some helpful people on 4chan or 8chan did research, and they found out that the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus is full, just stuffed to the brim with registered sex offenders. And in fact, one of the main people singing in that little video, one of the lead singers, has been convicted of crimes against underage boys. So when they say they're coming for your kids, they mean it. They mean they're driving around in a a white van with tinted windows stuffed with candy and video games to pick up your kids and molest them. Now, to make this even more perfect, if there's one group of people – more stuff with sex offenders than the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus. Oh, it is go. the Jesuit. It is the Jesuit. It's comments it's, it's, like that
1: John Merrick that wins you so much people's love. Okay, you're right though.
0: Let me repeat it. If there's one organization more stuff full of pedophiles than the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus, it is the Society of Jesus. They have one of the worst track records On abusing kids and covering up for abusers, Cardinal Kupich got a bunch of Jesuit perverts and put them on campus at a local Catholic college. I think it was Gonzaga when he was bishop up in Washington, uh, and didn't tell the students. So you had pedophiles living in a a university residence uh, on on the down low. The Jesuits are pedo-central. And James Martin
1: is – and, look, first of all, by well, the way, John, I want to say this before we go. At the end of the show, I have an integralist. A nice guy, actually, Jerry Alderman, or Aldermatt, sent a, a message to me. Uh, but it was really directed at you. So, uh, Jerry, if you're listening, right, we'll talk about that we'll later, talk but I us stay of the show, but, but I know, but I, I, um, but I, I do, oh, I just, I lost, what, what were you saying? I just lost my thought. Okay,
0: go. Oh. Yeah, okay I'm talking about the Jesuits as pedo central oh yeah I wanted well, to say
1: this James Martin okay. and I'll let you go but James right. Martin's books for although you said in your article people want to be nice we shouldn't say these things God doesn't need our lies James Martin's books are literally instruments of um the the, the, the pedophiles can use to uh, to lure in young boys with same-sex attraction that's right, what the, right. We, I'm getting
0: to father okay, Martin okay I'm getting to father Martin Okay, again, San Francisco Registered, Pedophile, Registered Sex Offenders Chorus, singing about molesting your kids. They actually took the video down after it was exposed how many of them are pedophiles. Do uh, you know who is hosting the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus for a jubilee in two weeks uh, with the whiff and poofs of Yale University, where I'm ashamed to say I went? The Jesuit parish of St. Ignatius Church in downtown San Francisco. So, okay, let's, let's go through this again. San Francisco Gay Chorus does a video that they're coming for your kids featuring pedophiles. It's full of sex offenders. Who is welcoming them to stand on a Catholic altar and sing is the Jesuit parish in San Francisco. And this is under the supposedly sound Archbishop Cordeleon.
1: Yeah, un- this is one of the best bishops in America,
0: supposedly. And this is happening in his diocese. And today, I got an email, someone sent me, Pope Francis' letter commending the work of Father James Martin, who is promoting same-sex marriage, encourages men to kiss each other as a kiss of peace. French kissing men right before the Eucharist. This, my friends, is the spirit of Antichrist out in the open. And this is the worst papal heresy in the history of the church. We we had a few things in the early church, Honorius and Vigilius, who made ambiguous statements about obscure Trinitarian doctrines. We had a pope in the Renaissance, Pope Pope John XXII, who speculated that when we die, our souls sleep until the general resurrection. The very next pope the Cardinals locked him up, by the way, and the next pope issued what we now consider an ex-Catholic condemnation of John the Twenty Second statement. Right now we have a pope speaking as pope praising a pro-sodomy ministry of an open heretic. I don't know what is left of the papacy after this. I mean, uh, one of, after my last podcast with you and my last article – I got a, a nasty email from an integralist saying that I'm basically a Protestant. Why? Because I said we, have to only listen, we only have to listen to the pope when he speaks ex cathedra. There is no guarantee when he speaks any other way. So when he speaks, we have to judge what he says by the Bible and by church tradition and by the statements of previous popes. This guy, this integralist, writes me, no, it is our duty, according to Vatican II, to try to form our minds to match whatever the current pope is saying. And if you read Lumen Gentium, it actually says that. That is insane. That is Stalinism. That is Scientology. The idea that a man speaking fallibly, fallibly, can impose his opinion on a billion human beings… That was crazy when the bishops approved it, and that's something the church is going to have to drop. I want to know what's going to be left of the papacy after Pope Francis. Now, of course, we, we fully expect that when Pope Francis goes to his rich, rich reward in the <laughs> next life, and when he is surprised and horrified to realize that God exists and there is an afterlife, because I don't think he believes either um, – when he gets that big surprise, the same big surprise that Joseph Stalin got uh, and Adolf Hitler got, oh, wait, God exists, and there is a hell. Damn it. I bet on the wrong horse. When that happens, he has stuffed the College of Cardinals with Nancy boys like – who's the cardinal from the Philippines? Cardinal Caligo uh, and nighty-night Cardinal Tobin and kupich All these fellow effeminate atheists with IQs of 105. Most of the college cardinals are effeminate Disney princesses who don't believe in God and have IQs of 105. So, So John, all the nurses, miracle, they're going to elect a pope just like Pope Francis.
1: You know, right now, there are nice Catholics and nice Christians and nice people listening to this. They're cringing at the way. Does he have to talk like that? Why yes, does, why does God Samara doesn't need your like
0: God doesn't need your lie. If you, if, 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 if you are at a restaurant at a birthday party full of kids, and the waitress brings a cake, and you see there are razor blades in the cake. It's your job to make a stink. It's your job to start screaming about it. You don't just smile and sit back and be polite and let the kids eat the razor blades. They are literally coming for our kids. They are singing about it. They're going to be singing about it in a Jesuit church with the bishop's approval. If that doesn't upset you, there's something deeply wrong with you, and I hope you don't like me, and I hope you don't read my books and you don't drop my name. I want nothing to do with you. If that doesn't upset you, if you don't want to go smash things and crack heads open at the news that the Jesuits are welcoming pedophiles who sing about pedophilia to perform their sodomy sodomy co- co- chorus on the altar of a catholic church there are there are martyrs bones buried as relics in that altar where the body and blood of jesus christ is confected daily in the sacrament of the eucharist this profanation this church should be re- if this happens if we can't force archbishop cordoleone to show some residual christian if not catholic sentiment and ban this disgusting sacrilege then that church should be reconsecrated before it's used again for a mass. That is how evil this is. This is, like, this is as bad or maybe worse than allowing the Ku Klux Klan to gather on the altar of a Catholic church and burn a cross. If they did that, oh, there'd be tons because the, the secular media would be upset about that. But this disgusting problem. Well, you know what, though, John? The-
1: but, you know, but, you're, but here's the problem. In, the, they, in, in, in Louisiana, and in, you know you know what they did. You're the one that told me that Catholics in that time when they were effectively burning crosses on the altar, uh, pushing segregation in the church and the bishop excommunicated them, they went and renamed streets after the horrible Catholics uh, that were publicly advocating segregation. So it's just the typical thing where the church, most people are nice. Most people aren't wicked. Most people, you know, then weren't, uh, aggressively advocating segregation, but they sure as heck defended those who did against Archbishop Rummel. But today we're just overwhelmed—not with horrendously evil people, but as you said in your article, nice, normal people. I'm just—I'm getting—I'm getting emails every day from nice, normal people telling me to leave Bishop Barron alone, leave James Martin alone. Do you know nice, normal people never email me? and say, how can I help with the Uyghur? How can I help with the, oh, I heard you're building a school for Christians in Iraq. How can I help? No, nice, normal people message me on Facebook, text me, email me. If if they're donors and they're nice, normal people, but somehow they've been donating to me still, they'll call me and say, leave Bishop Barron alone, leave James Martin alone. How do we wake up nice, normal people?
0: These nice, normal people are like dead salmon floating down the river to the sea. If you want to be good, not nice, but good in times like this, you have to swim upstream. You have to exhaust yourself not to be washed out to sea. Just yesterday at CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, Bruce Jenner shows up in bad drag, and thankfully some people had the nerve to... to heckle him and call him his real name, Bruce. And it became this big media thing. If you're a nice, normal person, you're just going to float with the stream, and you're going to let trannies take over the Republican Party. And you're going to let Jesuits molest your kids. I I mean when the sex abuse crisis was at its height, the uh, nice, normal people whose kids got molested – They wrote a letter to the bishop, and if the bishop didn't do anything, oh, well, they were deferential. I guess you can keep on raping my son because you're the bishop. Nice, normal people don't get a damn thing done. Nice, normal people, as you showed in the film that you helped produce, sing a little louder. Nice, normal people gathered in a church who hear a train full of Jews headed to the death camp. Outside their church, they sing a little louder. They sing their hymn a little louder to drown out the sounds of the victims. And the victims today are young girls, maybe with autism, being convinced they have to have their breasts cut off and their bodies chemically castrated. Young men having their bodies mutilated because of this, this transgender contagion, which is like a suicide contagion. Uh, nice, normal people are, are showing up. When Javier Becerra goes to the, to the commencement address at a Catholic law school, even though he's trying to put David Delighton and Sandra Merritt in prison for exposing the fact that black bodies are being cut up and sold as pieces in the new slave trade that Planned Parenthood operates through its abortion clinics in the ghetto. Nice, normal people don't want to think about that. You know, when, when William Wilberforce was fighting the slave trade, as Eric Metaxas documents in his wonderful book, Amazing Grace, That nice, normal people wanted to have sugar in their tea, but that sugar was made by black slaves in the Caribbean, and William Wilberforce, to his enormous credit, that saint, William Wilberforce, Methodist, got nice, normal people to boycott sugar, and that's how they stopped the slave trade, and that's how they eventually abolished slavery in Britain. Nice, normal people doing something weird and getting up off their couch and changing the channel, boycotting Disney. I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm listen, I'm, I admit, are, the, the stream, the downstream is powerful. We're walking into fire hoses. We are, we are swimming up Niagara Falls. But it's the only alternative to being a dead fish floating into the sea.
1: Yeah, and by God's grace, we're not nice and normal. Yeah. By God's grace, we're not nice and normal. I don't know. You know, nice and normal people shrug when they hear there are 3 million Uyghurs in concentration camps.
0: That's right.
1: You know, I spoke at nice a Jesuit high school <clears throat> several years yeah. ago, and my speech was on abortion and on the plight of the Uyghur and, I'm, and the, and, and the Yazidi. And the Jesuit principal wrote me a, an email afterwards about my use of pronouns. Uh, did not address anything in my speech, but said that I had, no, he did. He said, I asked the kids to stand up to fight abortion, which was offensive. I asked them if they'd. Could promise never to have an abortion stand up. Oh, my gosh, I traumatized the children with that question. And I use gender pronouns. Good. And I use gender pronouns. I
0: hope children need to be traumatized because right now they are living in a horror movie. And, you know, when you ever watch those stupid horror movies, the teenagers walking into the forest and they have no idea that there's a guy with a chainsaw waiting for them and they don't find out till it's too late. And there's always one character trying to warn them. And they always go, oh, you're such a buzzkill. Shut up. There's no serial killer with a chainsaw here. We're that character. We are the buzzkill character saying, maybe we shouldn't just drink vodka and have sex in the woods when there's a serial killer with a chainsaw. Oh, don't worry. Come on. You're such a nerd. And unfortunately, that character always dies by act three of the movie.
1: have to. (laughs) the black character
0: dies in the first act, and the nerd character dies in act three. (laughs)
1: Well, you know, John, I had this, I had been meditating on the story of Yanomi Park, the North Korean young woman who escaped, was se- was forced into the sex industry. Her father was murdered. She ran across the Gobi Desert, and she makes it to Columbia University, where, as you, I think you saw two weeks ago, she came out and made a video and said that what a woke ideology is crazier than what they have in North Korea. And she tells the story of some woke affluent, um, white kid who began to cry in her face because she misgendered him and his gender was they, I, or his pronoun was they, I don't even understand. I don't understand this. And he began to cry and said to her something to the effect of, you'll never know what it's like to be a marginalized person. Um, Then I thought about this, John. So let me run this past you. This is what I thought about. I I wanted to really kind of understand where this young person was coming from. And I realized that all this woman suffered was, for the first 13 of her years, tyranny and extreme poverty. That's all she suffered. Then she fled across a desert, almost dying, and her father died. Then she was a sex slave with the despair, the loneliness, and the alienation, and the fear and despair that, prob- that I have to imagine goes along with being uh, a, t- a young teenage girl in the sex industry, right? Then she comes to a new country, all this. That's all she experienced. What this poor boy experienced was being raised by an electronic box, um, never knowing what it's like to be hungry, not even for an hour and a half, and all of his sexual experiences, I have to imagine, in some way involved an electronic box, either staring into it alone or swiping right. And I thought, wow, this woman, you know me, Park, has experienced what countless human beings have experienced in the history of the human family. War, famine, tyranny, being a refugee. But these woke zombie creatures that we have allowed to be manufactured even in our own families, there is something true in their belief that they have in some way been exceptionally violated but we can't even tell them that to express empathy with them because their response would be like, yes, you're right, because they can't see anyone else's suffering. Like, he couldn't see how Yenomi Park suffered. He can only experience and not articulate, but just kind of live and know that he has in some real way been wrong since the moment he fell out of the womb. You know, so how do we wake, you know, how do we save these zombies?
0: It's as if it's as if they invented a vaccine that prevents empathy, that prevents genuine empathy, and they've been putting that into kids for the last 30 years. You, these kids going to colleges that cost $60,000 a year, living in beautiful Gothic buildings, being served exquisite meals under 60-foot oak ceilings. I mean I, I lived all this. I went to Yale, and I was living like a 1920s aristocrat in buildings that had been built for them, um, being taught Marxism. Now, this was the 1980s when I went there, and I knew that Marxism was evil. I just pointed to the Berlin Wall. In a way, the collapse of the Soviet Union has taken away the obvious proof of how evil these ideas are. People pretend that China – well, they're not really Marxists. Well, no, in a sense, they're really Chinese Nazis. Stephen Mosher, the courageous man who exposed the one-child policy back in the 80s and got expelled from Stanford for doing so. In his book, The Bully of Asia, he explains that China now – in China now, Marxism is almost a veneer. Really, it's a fanatical nationalist, militaristic, corporate fascist state that is as racist on behalf of the Han Chinese as Nazi Germany ever was on behalf of the so-called Aryans, and that they are rebuilding their military faster than Hitler did in the 1930s with one target the United States, and its allies. And these people here, I, I, I wonder how much of this woke propaganda is being funded by China, trying to divide America and render it completely helpless the way China was. Let's remember, China was a global power for thousands of years. Then in the mid-19th century, it succumbed to the kind of division and chaos and internal self-destruction that we are undergoing now. The Chinese remember the humiliation of the period from 1848 to like 1948. They they remember it vividly. You and I, Americans, we don't remember anything. People think it's somehow racist to be forced to study any period of history before the moment the universe winked into existence when they were born. But the Chinese have a long historical memory, and they know what it's like. To be a divided and colonized, conquered country, and that's what they have in mind for us.
1: Yeah, and all that we, all that they need to do, is make sure the night, the more and more people just keep acting nice, and that yeah, it, nice Catholics people, keep their mouths shut. Yeah. Nice Catholics, right? I, you know, this week alone, I was just overwhelmed with nice people messaging me that I. I'm not nice to very powerful, influential people, and then when I insist I'm going to continue to not be nice, they all of a sudden are not so nice. That's the interesting part. They demand yeah. that we show thoughtless respect to perverts like James Martin,
0: that and heretics like heretic, apostate, atheists like Pope Francis. Yeah, I don't. I I would bet a kidney that Pope Francis does not believe in God in any sense. Maybe a pantheist sense. Maybe, maybe Pope Francis is a pantheist. I I doubt even that. I think, I I have more respect for Richard Dawkins' intellectual integrity than for Pope Francis.
1: Well, you know, let's go to the Eucharist debate. It it reveals that they don't believe, at the very least, they do not believe in the real presence in the Eucharist. Bishop um, Robert Barron said that we, you know, he had this article, we need to have, uh, if they're not going to be opposed to killing children after they're born, we have nothing to talk about on the Eucharist for quote-unquote pro-choice politicians. What Bishop, all these nice Catholics wrote me and said, see, look at this powerful statement. I'm like, first of all, he just moved the line from fertilization, from biological beginning to birth. He just moved the line there with a sleight of hand. You didn't even realize Yeah. And then he...
0: right. uh, yeah. go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. Inf- Infanticide is no longer even a red line. But you know what would be a red line? You know what would be if somebody wanted to accept fewer refugees or fewer immigrants? That will get you excommunicated. That got Laura Ingram banned from speaking at a pro life event. That got uh, Tom Tancredo banned from speaking at Providence College in Rhode Island because they didn't agree with the USCCB. On its immigration policy, which is basically, please get somebody in here, some warm bodies to fill the pews because everybody's leaving. And by everybody, I mean 40% of, that, of people raised Catholic in America leave the church and never come back, according to Pew Research, of the most reputable public research firm in America, 40%. And guess what? The immigrants are leaving too. Not even 50% of Hispanics in America identify as Catholic anymore. So our bishops are stealing sheep from Latin America and then starving them to death.
1: Yeah, They're basically, the, the bishops are behaving, what's the, the adult that runs Scientology?
0: L. Ron Hubbard. No, no, the guy that you runs know, it today. No, no, the new guy,
1: Miscavige. Miscavige. Miskav- you know, I, I've always yeah. thought that the David Miscavige and his clique's st- strategy has been Let's embarrass, let, let's discredit our own religion driving everyone from it so there's fewer and fewer of us to sit on all this wealth and property. Maybe. And we can divide the spoils amongst ourselves. And, and maybe that's what the bishops are doing. They're just taking a page out of Miscavige's book. And let's well, just you know, create scandal after scandal. Let's keep singing off of different sheets of music till no one's left on the dance floor. And then we have it all to ourselves.
0: Well, they can become what the Episcopal Church became, a giant real estate holding corporation. That's all that's going to be left. But the sex abuse cases will, will continue to hit them, and so that, that's going to strip them of all the property. Right now, they were perfectly happy to close down all the sacraments uh, during the COVID fraud uh, because they they're getting PPP loans from the government and, and grants from the government. I think the bishops want all their money. Ultimately, to come from a few rich idiots and the U.S. federal government via nonprofit uh, contracts. Already, 40% before COVID, 40% of the bishops' money came from the federal government to work as a contractor processing immigrants. So, so that is their equivalent of the German church tax in Germany. If you check a box on your tax form and you say you're Catholic. And then 8% of your income goes to the Catholic Church, whether you like it or not. Now, if you don't check that box, you're excommunicated. You can rerun a chain of abortion clinics. You're not excommunicated. But if you don't check that box that sends the money to the bishops, you're excommunicated. Um, they, They don't want to have to worry about what we think. They don't want to have to listen to laymen because they have turned the episcopate and to a large degree the priesthood into a big gay party. Being a bishop in America is something that, an, that the dumbest, gayest member of an Irish-American family decides to do. He doesn't have the talent for Broadway. He doesn't have the brains to work for the Democratic National Committee. So he goes to bishop school so he can someday live in a palace like the Disney princess he always secretly knew that he was.
1: So, John, you just hit the nail on the head. Um, why immigration and all these, quote-unquote, social welfare programs are the new non-negotiables for the bishops? That's where their money comes from, like in Germany— That's the box. That's the only thing that can get you excommunicated. It doesn't matter if a wide-open border leads to massive exploitation of the poorest migrants in the world trapped in a dangerous underground economy or human sex trafficking. None of that matters. It's really just about our money. Our money. You know, when I wrote that white paper several years ago on a plan to eliminate strategic nuclear weapons, nuclear weapons designed to kill civilians – Uh, That seems to me pretty much a non-negotiable Catholic teaching that the left could get on board. You know, there was no interest from the left. None. None. You know, and and for those who are listening, what is he talking about? Tactical nuclear weapons are small nuclear weapons designed for aircraft carriers. Or or battlefield, yeah. yeah. uh, Armored division coming across a plane. Uh, Strategic nuclear weapons are meant to destroy cities. So my proposal was... Yeah, uh, the nuclear nations sign an agreement to abolish all strategic nuclear weapons. As John, you made clear to me, and, and when we were working on our book, you gave me a lot of books to read. That strategic bombing actually slows down success in war. Anyways, why should we suffer the horrible public, you know, damage to our public image as a nation having bombs that can wipe cities off the earth? I went to a lot of left, quote unquote, seamless garment social justice groups, and like two groups were interested from the left. No, but no, but if if you go to them, it's all about money from the federal government going directly to them. Those are the only not them. Again, it's the preferential option for me and uh right. and uh my bottom line.
0: So I as a Catholic, I mean I can't imagine ever having faith in the papacy again. If it's possible for one Pope to teach heresy, as Pope Francis is teaching heresy then it's possible that everything his predecessor says were heresy, too. It's all up for grabs. Everything that wasn't defined as ex cathedra or at an ecumenical council, it's up for grabs. So you and I, Jason, now have to vet everything the Vatican says against what previous popes and councils have said. So we're essentially stuck with the same kind of private judgment that Protestants have. And this, the, le- the, ch- the left inside the church has done this. They have succeeded. They have turned the papacy into a paper tiger. And there's no going back unless a future council declares well, why are that they're going to be elected.
1: They would agree with you on all of this. So many integralists. And maybe we can get to this integralist. I don't know how much time you have, this integralist oh, I would, questions. I would,
0: like to, I would like to get to those questions. Um, well, I, I'll yeah, I mean, Why are ahead. so
1: many integralists who would agree with everything you just said? Now at the same time, they're fantasizing about Supich being able to arrest Taylor Marshall.
0: Right, right, or Franklin Graham. Um, well, it, it, I have to go into historical analogy here. Think about a fatherless boy growing up in the ghetto, spending all his time watching Marvel Comics movies and fantasizing about superheroes. He doesn't have the father he deserves, so he imagines, super-powerful father figures to take their place. And if he, as he gets older, he, the gang, the local gang leader might take his father's place. When the secular government of Turkey, I think it was in 1926, they abolished the Muslim equivalent of the papacy. They abolished the caliphate. And now that's shocking. The caliphate went all the way back to Muhammad, and, and Kamal Ataturk abolished it. That caused a worldwide trauma among Sunni Muslims, who are 80, 85% of, of Muslims. They no longer had anyone who could legitimately deca- declare jihad. They no longer had anyone who could issue authoritative fatwas on the interpretation of the Quran and the Hadith. The, the, it's like lopping off the papacy. Well, that's exactly what happened to us under Pope Francis. We have lost our equivalent of the caliphate, the papacy no longer serves its function as guardian of doctrine, and arguably will never be able to do so again. Or else uh, the, when, the only times that we can really rely on what the Pope says now are ex cathedra. So unless we get a future conservative Pope, uh, and I don't see how one will be elected in our lifetime, uh but let's say some wonderful miracle happens. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Hit,
1: the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, the, well, I said I can't see how. Right? Yeah. Right. A meteorite hits the papal conclave and kills all Pope Francis's cardinals, but there are a few good African bishops who are still in the Dakar airport trying to fly to Rome. So you have, oh wow, okay, all the all the gay bishops are dead, um, but we have five or six cardinals, old Hungarians, old Africans, and they elect Father Altman or <laughs> Father Father Rudler.
1: Hey Jesus.
0: Okay. Well. He won't have the authority that Pius XII did in a people's mind because Pope Francis will have discredited the papacy except at an ex cathedra level. So if we ever get a Catholic pope again, he's going to have to declare everything ex cathedra in order for it to have any authority at all because just the pope saying something means nothing because Pope Francis said we have to have open borders, said we have to take the dead baby vaccine said James Martin was admirable for promoting same-sex marriage, said the death penalty was wrong, always wrong, so he's con- contradicting the covenant of Noah. Um, the, the left has permanently crippled the papacy. Now, I guess God never intended us to give the pope's statements this much deference, clearly, or he wouldn't have allowed a monstrosity like Pope Francis. So Pope Francis may, in a sense, be like the Assyrians, a, a a chastisement that God sent us because we were making too much out of papal authority. And he was going to prove it to us by having a pope this sinister, stupid, and heretical.
1: Do you know, there's a guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he's a a very wealthy man who supports the papal, used to support the papal foundation, which I think you have to do a million dollars a year just to the pope. And this was a very generous guy giving a million dollars a year to the papacy, to the pope. Uh, he he left the papal foundation when Francis was elevated, and he said that um, I asked him what, what he thought about Francis. Now, if you remember at the time, I was I didn't know, right? I didn't know. I didn't, I, I was withholding judgment for a while. My daughter, when she found out he, he, his name, she said only a prideful, ego, egomaniac propagandist would pick that name. That was she was like seventeen, and uh, yeah. she said, "I don't. This guy's going to be bad news." Um, that a Jesuit would take the name Francis Assisi, not Francis Xavier, um, which he made clear very early on, it was Francis of Assisi. She said only an egomaniac propagandist would do that. And then there was this gentleman in the Papal Foundation, and he said to me, this is going to be horrible. And he said, well, you say, and this was like the days after. He said, this is, we've made an oracle out of the Pope. And this will correct that. That's the only good that's going to come out of this is that conservative Catholics will no longer look to Rome as the Oracle of Delphi.
0: That's right. Every time the Pope farts in the bathtub, we don't consider a new divine revelation.
1: All right. So, you know, and and for me, I have said, okay, how do we... I always think of of the great Jewish political philosopher Hannah Arant talking about, like, thinking without banisters. Not, Not only now can we not do... There are no banisters for philosophy. It seems like... Those of us who are Christians, Catholics, we don't even have the banisters of revealed religion, the firm banisters that we had right. before of the, of, the, of, the, of the popes and our bishops and the priests and the magisterium. There's all this sort of distrust. And so for me, in, 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 in this chaos and this confusion, I thought the best thing I can do is just order my life to the victims of this the chaotic, cruel, thoughtless, mindless spirit of the age The child in the womb. Migrants that are the victims of open borders. Working class Americans that are the victims of open borders. We shouldn't even call it open borders. We should say um, the continued exploitation of vulnerable migrants in an underground economy. It's not about open borders. It's about the status quo in um, undermining the working class Americans at the expense of vulnerable migrants.
0: Um, Replacing them. Yeah, replacing. the working class. Well, I don't even know if they want to. Making it too expensive. What do they do? They, they, they don't want to do anything. That prom- our birth rate keeps falling. To me, that is the best indicator that your country is going badly. People don't even have the money or the will to bring new human beings into the world. I would say that, not the gross domestic product, should be the, should be the, the index you use to whether life is going well in a country. And our birth rate is falling the way it is in Russia. They're they're saying we need immigrants to replace the kids that we're too depressed and poor and beaten down to have. I would say that's a failure for the
1: country. A friend of mine in a finance committee for a big diocese walked me through the numbers, and he said it's only immigration will save the diocese from financial ruin. Uh, So how's this? Oh, go ahead, sir.
0: I want all the dioceses to face financial ruin. I want wealthy Catholic laymen to buy up the beautiful old churches that are irreplaceable and make them landmarks and then let the rest of the dead skin of legacy Catholicism die off. You cut off the gangrenous limb because right now the priesthood is full of low IQ, lazy gay guys who knew it would be a very comfortable lifestyle. The only way the priesthood and then the bishop, the episcopacy, get fixed. Is if being a priest is painful and sacrificial and being a bishop is even worse. And that's how things were in the 19th century. St. John Neumann, who came here from, I think, Bohemia and, and was the first, it was the first man canonized in America. He ran around, his life as a bishop was kind of like your life as an activist constantly trying to raise funds, constantly trying to do difficult things, constantly running in towards the burning building. I, John Neumann, when there was a, a, a yellow fever epidemic, he went to the city and served the sick. The same with St. Saint, Saint Xavier Silos, who, who uh, blessed Xavier Silos in New Orleans. He died because when there was a yellow fever epidemic, he didn't close the church the way they did it for COVID. He was there serving the sick. He made the churches into hospitals. While the church is basically a gay museum of architecture, it deserves to be bankrupted. These schools, these fake Catholic colleges should be cut off. I don't think we should have a single Catholic college in America. We can't do it. The ones that are not heretical are turning integralist. Stop the pretense. The college model is already being exposed as bankrupt. But since the 1960s, when our colleges said – at the Land Lakes conference, these heads of colleges gathered with the bishops and said, you know, we're there's only one reason we're not as prestigious as Harvard and Yale. It's because – Orthodox Catholic bishops control what happens at the colleges, and that's preventing us from being as prestigious as the Watsby colleges that have been totally secularized. And the bishop said, "Oh, prestige, secular prestige, assimilation into WASP society—that's what we're all about. Here, here are the keys. Turn the colleges into, you know, theme parks of the of Catholic nostalgia, which is what they are now, except for the few that are churning out integralists." who are basically
1: the Muslim Brotherhood for Catholics. Yeah. Well, well okay, I'm, I'm trying to listen as you talk, as because my whole goal with this show, and you called for this show, but and when I read the article, I'm like, my goal is to wake up at least one nice Catholic. So if I'm a nice Catholic and I'm listening, there's no doubt, John, what you're saying is true, that um, a lot of priests... Are lazy guys with same sex attraction that are not very spirited or bright. And I have empathy for young men who, in the 60s, struggling with same sex attraction, thought the priesthood would be a great way to live a holy life and then discovered life is long and it's hard and there were challenges. I have empathy for them. Um, But do we have to say all the truths out loud? (laughs) Do we have to say every truth? Why yes. do you feel it's necessary? And I, I agree it is necessary. But I'm just trying to think like think a nice people, Catholic.
0: Why, why? You know who nice Catholics should be hanging around with? You know who Catholics should be hanging around with? Conservative evangelicals. Anyone who is against the spirit of the age, anyone who is swimming upstream, that's your fellow Christian. Anyone who's fighting against the LGBT agenda, anyone who's fighting against wokeness and critical race theory, those are your brethren. C.S. Lewis said he thought ecumenism would be accomplished by the catacombs, that that when most of the churches had apostatized the spirit of the age, those who wouldn't give in, people like John MacArthur and Eric Metaxas and Owen Strand… People in Protestant churches, people in the Eastern Orthodox Church who are pushing back against this globalist monstrosity that is trying, again, to convert our kids to sodomy, to give our kids sex change operations, to make us all take the dead baby vaccine. Whoever is against that, that is your fellow believer. Stop thinking in terms of, oh, well, they're a baptized Catholic. That doesn't mean anything anymore. The papacy barely means anything anymore. Make friends with conservative evangelicals. Go to the gun range. Get ready for what's coming.
1: All right, now now, can we switch to integralism and address this guy's questions?
0: Yes, you you, you said for the first time. You got intelligent, honest questions from an integralist. I would love to hear the. That's answer.
1: that's honestly true. I, I I get a lot of folks, even friends, close friends, who are tempted to integralism, which I I'm I've never even you were tempted to it. I've never even been te- I'm tempted uh, to nihilism. I'm tempted to, um, you know, g- g- retreating to being a Randian or something. But I'm, I've never been. I'll never be tempted to integralism. Okay. But I never get respectful answers, especially when it's about Zmirak. Well, no, Zmirak this, Zmirak that, and I'll never – I'm like, you can come on the show. I'd love to have a debate between you and Zmirak. No, I would never. He's not just and fair. Okay, so here we go.
0: Uh, (laughs) This is what this guy said, Jerry
1: Jerry Altermat, and I think it's his real name. He said, I like both of these guys, but they make some rather embarrassing fundamental errors and logical fallacies. And then I said, Aloha, Jerry. Uh, please correct us. Mahalo. And then he responded. He said, Aloha, and thanks for not canceling me, as per Z- Zmirak's command that everyone should pretend integralists don't exist, which I find strange because I didn't know they existed. And you were the one that kept insisting they existed to me for years, and I thought you were a lunatic. Okay. I don't know where he gets off. Right. Uh, did you ever say that they don't exist? No. Yeah, I don't
0: know. I, I, I was saying we. I was saying we should shun them as evil company. That's quite different. I was the one screaming about their existence since uh, December 2013. I have been talking about the danger of integralism and been talking about them more than anyone else in the Catholic world, and people were waving me off. I've been saying that. I waved you off. I would
1: say to my wife, I love John. He's bright and the greatest writer in the world today. That's what I would say but he sees an integralist behind every tree. There's no integralists out there. So I don't know what he was saying about that. Like, you're the guy that's been saying they exist. Okay. So for the yeah. sake of space, I'll choose just three errors and fallacies. Ad hominem. I can, I'll read it. I consider myself a traditional Catholic, which also necessarily makes me an integralist. So I guess this means that I am an undereducated, resentful, physically weak, effeminate, selfish LARPer that has never picked up a hammer, and I attended a small liberal arts college. Well, you have the last part right, at least. Throwing hay bales and pounding fences posts couldn't buy me the Yale education, which Zmerich was privileged. Denigrating your opponents (laughs) is much easier than confronting their arguments. So we do use— I've been confronting
0: their arguments nonstop, Jason. You're the one who was doing all the stuff about them being the 7 LARPers. Nothing against that. It's largely true. But I've been going after their arguments. Yeah,
1: that's true. That that was me. So should I not? I mean, they are— generally
0: go ahead because you know what but he you know what go ahead rational arguments don't work with most people most people operate based on their their gut and you're appealing to their gut so that's part of rhetoric and it's not it's not an ad hominem is only a fallacy if the person's character and behavior are irrelevant so if i say don't buy mario batali's books his recipes are bad because he grabs his waitress's butts. That is an ad hominem, okay? If Mario Batali had a book out on Christian marriage and masculine virtue, and then I said, don't buy his book on Christian marriage and masculine virtue because he grabs his waitress's butts, that would be a legitimate argument from character, as Aristotle points out, the ethical argument in Aristotle's rhetoric. So if we point out, that these, so-called, these integralists do nothing in the pro-life movement, do nothing to defend our civil liberties, do nothing to defend religious freedom, have, are, are using integralism as an excuse to check out of their duty as patriotic citizens to defend the common good. That is not an ad hominem argument. That is an argument about their character, and Aristotle would approve of that. Okay. Next question.
1: Straw man. Zmirak is correct that most integralists... Oh, let's address this. He says, I consider myself a traditional Catholic, which by necessity makes me an integralist. That's sleight of hand. Right. Did you catch that?
0: Yeah, he's saying, right, by definition, I am correct. Now let us argue. Um the official – the catechism of the Catholic Church does not teach integralism. Vatican II does not teach integralism. No pope since Vatican II has affirmed anything like integralism. Pope Paul VI, Pope John Paul II, and Pope Benedict all spoke against integralism. Pope John Paul II did a public reparation on behalf of the church for the integralist sins of the church's past, including the persecution of Protestants. These, he's just lying. So there's that.
1: All right, Zmerek is correct, and most integralists would admit that a person who uh, deliberately and abstention—I'm uh, just gonna—I'm gonna edit it; cause it's long. Uh, is deliberately stays outside of the Catholic Church is more offensive uh, to God than holding up a liquor store. All Catholics should believe this. I don't remember you saying that.
0: I didn't say anything. Uh, look, uh, he's saying pe- people who know the Catholic Church is true and won't join it. Okay, that, that's great. How many Protestants does that describe? How many Eastern Orthodox does that describe? They know, they know the Catholic Church is true. They know it. And they're in bad faith remaining in some other church for some venal reason. How many people does that describe? Do you think that describes Franklin Graham or Eric Metaxas or, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Yeah, Eric, does Eric does Metaxas them?
1: strike you as the kind of guy – that would be afraid of becoming Catholic if he thought it was true. I mean, he's the bravest guy I've known. He's got a lot to lose, yeah. and he keeps trying to lose it. He never stops pushing the line, right?
0: Let's, but let's, let's talk about Solzhenitsyn. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, very brilliant man, infinitely smarter than you or I. Clearly knew how to read documents, knew how to study history. He, he knew the Catholic Church was true and became stayed Russian Orthodox out of malice, right? So again, this guy's presenting a straw man. I never said that Martin Luther or John Calvin were heroes. I don't know. I think they were sincerely mistaken, and they were following their mistaken consciences. I don't know how God's going to judge them. I just know that they should not have been burned at the stake for following their consciences even if they were mistaken. That's all I've said. I don't want the government persecuting Protestants – and taking their children away from them, which is what the integralists want. And I will make that—I want to repeat that—the integralists all believe that the local Catholic bishop has the right to take away the children of any, any baptized children. In theory, he has the right to take them away and raise them as Catholic, the way Pius IX took Edgardo Mortara from his Jewish parents. They all defend that action by Pius IX. So that proves they know how to follow an argument with logical consequences. If the local bishop should have the right to use force to close Protestant churches, to censor Protestant speech, to to force attendance at Catholic churches, and to prevent the practice of Protestantism, he should also be able to rescue these little kids baptized into the Catholic church from their heretical parents who are going to raise them in schism and heresy. So, next question.
1: Okay, well, he goes on, he kind of follows up there, and he says, where Zmirak errors is when he says that, quote, presumably, a word he uses frequently to plant words in integralist smiles, this means that they should also agree that these people should be arrested. I don't know anyone who considers himself an integralist that believes this.
0: Well, when they say, okay, when in their smarmy, Uh, dishonest book, Right and Just, Scott Hahn and Brandon McGinley, they both say that offenses against the dignity of God, that is the practice of false religion, that is anything but Catholic worship, are a greater offense against the common good than violent crime, and that the state must be able to prevent it. What does that mean? What do those those airy-fairy words mean? If, the, if you're saying Protestant worship is worse and more damaging to the common good than violent crime and that the state has the right and the duty to repress these things is it is it is am I just being vulgar here by drawing the logical necessary conclusions of what these people say in their cowardly backhanded way
1: my closest integralist friends would agree that they should be arrested they you know um they've they've defended that to me so i don't know look look, maybe he has friends that call themselves integralists that are actually
0: let let me let me let me be historically concrete here okay the integralists are following the same position that archbishop Lefebvre followed after vatican ii and saying that states should be officially Catholic and that they should restrict Protestant worship. And Archbishop Lefebvre protested when Latin American countries legalized Protestant churches and Protestant missionaries, which had been illegal since the settlements since 1492. He protested when Spain under Franco reluctantly was forced by the Vatican to legalize Protestant churches. Archbishop Lefebvre protested. So – Their hero, Archbishop Lefebvre, the founder of the Integralist movement, if you will, protested when Protestant churches were legalized in Latin America and Spain. Are they going to throw Archbishop Lefebvre under the bus and say he was wrong? I'd love to hear them do that. Go for it. Then you're on my side. All I want is religious liberty, and these people are against it.
1: Well, then he goes on I to want say, right. so this guy goes on to say most integralists would admit the necessity of religious toleration in a pluralistic society like we have in the United States. So, again, is he speaking between the lines and, and, and kind of wink, wink?
0: Rel- he is saying reluctantly because we can't get enough public opinion to pass these laws. We'll have to tolerate the existence of these false religions because we don't have the power to stop it. It's kind of like Thomas Aquinas and, and Augustine who said, well, we probably have to let prostitution be legal because it would be too hard to wipe it out. So that what he's saying is we can't get away with this, so shut up. It's irrelevant. We can't even get away with it. Of course, when we can get away with it, we should, and now I'll quote one of their heroes, Thomas Pink a theologian who wrote, wrote it first things, said that Vatican II does not license religious freedom. Despite what the document Dignitatis Humanae says, all Vatican II says is that the secular state should not use force. The government should not use force, but the bishop can. In other words, Thomas Pink is saying that the church should have its own police force, And not the state, but the church should arrest Protestants. So the bishop can have his own church police, and he can go arrest the Protestants, not the state. That's what Thomas Pink, the leading integralist thinker, says Vatican II means. Do you think that's what Vatican II's decree on religious liberty means that? Did John Paul II think that? Did Pope Benedict think that? No. This is a crank position to open up a loophole, to turn – this resounding affirmation of religious liberty that Vatican II made to turn it into Shiite-style taqiyah. That's where you say something, but it means the opposite, but you're allowed to lie because it benefits Islam. The Shiites teach that. They're turning Vatican II into taqiyah on behalf of Catholic Sharia.
1: All right, and and, and, and he continues, absolutely none of the integralists I know— What's scary is, I think this guy is from, like, North Dakota or something, that he knows more than one. <laughs> it just bothers me. Also, like there's, like, there's a group of them out there wherever this guy lives. It's, it's, it's frightening. Also, absolutely none of the yeah. integralists I know would hold that a non-Catholic should be coerced into faith. The claim that these unspoken positions infallibly proceed from the integralist argument is utter
0: nonsense. Well, Read what they say. If they agree with us on religious freedom, then what are they – why are they bothering to organize a movement? If all they're saying is having something that calls itself a Catholic state but tolerates other – lets other religions proceed, uh, if that's all they want, I've been saying that for years. So why are these people so upset at me? I've been saying for years the ideal arrangement is the Habsburg monarchy circa 1870. Which had total religious freedom, but still the king was crowned by, by the bishop, and they celebrated Catholic holidays, and it was still officially Catholic, so everybody had total religious freedom. That's what I've been saying all along. So, why am I their enemy if they agree with me? They don't. Why are they defending Pius IX, seizing Edgardo Matara from his Jewish parents and raising him himself? Which integralists as a
1: have emailed me privately, or they've called me, that are my friends. And they agree with that. And they say, well, the law is the
0: law. So we, well, the law is the law. That was the law. Guess what, Jason? You could say that about the Fugitive Slave Act.
1: No, I know. No, look, Returning I'm not defending slaves it. Yeah, yeah.
0: to their masters was the law. Well, that's what you should say back to them.
1: Yeah, that's a good response. And, and
0: the nuremberg Race laws were the law. So when, when they sent Edith Stein to the gas chamber, that was the law.
1: Okay. Here's the best question. I'm saving the best for last. I'm going to read it all the way through. Um, I wish I had my reading glasses. I broke like the, my third pair of reading glasses this week. Catholic uh, Cafeteria Catholicism. You and I have just been sent to the cafeteria. You can't just dismiss over 100 years of the church's ordinary magisterium simply on the grounds that it doesn't line up with your own ideology. Smirak makes the error of thinking that because we can withhold our assent of mind and will from some of the bizarre things... That have come from, the pope, from Pope Francis's mouth and pen. We now have the license to dismiss encyclicals from every pope, from Gregory the 16th to Pius the 12th. There is a crucial distinction that needs to be made here, and it is extremely dangerous not to see it. Francis has contradicted what the church has always and everywhere taught. The social doctrine encyclicals of the 19th and early 20th century do not. Are you willing to say your quiet parts out loud? I like this guy. And by the way, yes. I'll always say, unfortunately, Uh, we we will always say the quiet. There's no quiet parts for us. I hope this podcast demonstrates that. I have nothing to lose. I have everything I want except for one thing, and I think I'm going to get it for my 50th birthday. Are you willing to say your quiet parts out loud? Are you willing to state that Satanists should be granted the liberty to worship publicly, to display large billboards promoting abortion. Are you willing to state that Jesus Christ and his mother can be blasphemed in public? I will say when people blaspheme in public, they're asked first nicely uh, to stop, and if they continue, I say things that are scary. Um, and his mother can be blasphemed right. in public with in- impunity, that p- uh, polygamy should be allowed. You do really good things, and it, I admire you, and I respect that. So this guy, by the way, John, I like this guy. He, he's the first person I've asked to send me questions. I've asked dozens of people that have emailed me first to, to Kafetch. And then when I'm like, hey, please send me some questions for John, nothing. Actually, some very right, thoughtful, okay. smart people. So I'm grateful for this guy. Okay, now you can answer.
0: I w- okay, My, I have said that the standard for coercive law, for bringing in the bayonets of the state, Putting people in prison ought to be the natural law, natural law which God wrote on the human heart, which can be known by reason alone, but is best known through divine revelation because of our fallenness. Okay, polygamy violates the common good and the natural law. We can oppose it because of that. We don't oppose it just based on divine revelation. If we're going to govern based on divine revelation, then we ought to. The government ought to impose modesty laws based on the apparitions of Fatima, right? Uh, I would oppose Satanism. I would not allow Satanism to be preached because it encourages the violation of the natural law. It encourages murder. It encourages adultery. Again, all things that violate the natural law. Abortion violates the natural law. Now, when when it comes to blasphemy, I would say, public aggressive blasphemy encourages violence. It encourages a natural reaction of violence on the part of Christians. Just the way I might not allow Nazis to march through a neighborhood full of Holocaust, victims, Holocaust survivors, I, might, I don't. I think the public order is threatened by blasphemy being directed at Christians. The Christians will react violently. It's Free speech is not absolute. Remember, the Supreme Court talks about fighting words. If you use fighting words that provoke a fight, that is not protected by the First Amendment. The call for the violent overthrow of the government, not protected by the First Amendment. Libel, not protected by the First Amendment. There are certain extreme cases of speech that are so provocative and so violent that they disturb public order that they should be restricted just the way pornography should be restricted. All of these things I am making on natural law arguments based on the common good as perceptible to any rational person willing to adhere to the natural law. In none of these cases will I ever cite a church council, a Bible verse, or a papal declaration.
1: You know what's frightening as you're talking? I realize what they've really lost faith in is reason and, yeah. and the natural law. And with the disruptions caused by Francis and our bishops, the children of the integralists are going to be left nihilists. They're going to be left lost, yeah. right? They're going to be confused.
0: Fideism Thedias- right? th- leads to nihilism in one generation or less. Now I'd like to respond to one other thing he said. Okay. The ordinary magisterium is the most elusive concept on the face of the earth. You won't find two theologians who agree about it, and there's a reason for that. It's not well defined. What the popes of the 19th century said about religious freedom was not what the church has always and everywhere taught. You can't find one of the apostles who wanted an intolerant Catholic state. You can't find any Christian before the era of St. Augustine. Religious persecution, the persecution of heretical Christians, was something that the Roman Empire foisted on the church. Theodosius, uh, who was several emperors after Constantine, he proposed making pagan worship illegal. He proposed putting financial penalties on Jews he proposed persecuting heretics saint augustine at a frustration at the donatists in north africa was the first christian ever to agree that the state should persecute heretics that was the 4th or that was the 4th century religious persecution the church using the state to persecute fellow christians is a 3rd century innovation it's not in the new testament jesus said if you preach to people and they don't listen, shake the dust off your feet. He did not say call the police and have the heretics punished. The early church only ever asked for liberty. Read Tertullian. Read Lactantius. So I'm saying because the church did not always and everywhere teach this. In fact, there is so little support for religious persecution in the New Testament that in the Middle Ages, when the popes were justifying the Inquisition, They had to look to the Old Testament. They had to say that the popes have inherited the mantle of Moses and that they can persecute heretics the way Moses was licensed to persecute witches. What a a tenuous argument, directly contrary to the spirit and letter of the New Testament. And so when Pope Gregory says one thing and Pope John Paul II says the opposite, and it's not an apostolic doctrine then the magisterium has not been invoked. When popes disagree about things that you can't resolve by resort to scripture or infallible declaration, that's not an example of the ordinary magisterium. So if you read my article, The Myth of Catholic Social Teaching, which was published seven years ago.
1: I'll put it um, in the uh, show notes. I,
0: yeah, I try to explain that the only way to make the ordinary magisterium coherent, to make it coherent, is to say that it functions by consensus. It's for something to be part of the ordinary magisterium, it must be traceable back to the apostles and never have been contradicted by any pope or council. Now, religious persecution, as one of the church's privileges, was contradicted by Vatican II, John Paul II, and Benedict XVI. So it is not part of the ordinary magisterium. So this question is irrelevant.
1: Now, 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 I have a question for you, and you might not want to answer it, and you might say, hey, it's been a long show, I want to go. But in a world where we have a bishop, his priests, and countless seminarians in the past month arrested by the CCP and sent off to be tortured and reeducated in a gulag somewhere, where Catholic laymen are being disappeared in Hong Kong, standing up to tyranny, where our co-religionists were being wiped off the face of the earth in Iraq and Syria, uh, where religious persecution against Christians has never been uh, it's it you know in Africa it's it's startling yet they're silent on all of this and then let's move to here uh, our diocesan schools are if you if you go to a catholic diocesan school you're you're not catholic now guaranteed um if you you know if you if you were, received a catholic education from jesuits you're not catholic now whether you How, think about, you this? How not. about this? How about this?
0: How about this? Virtually every Catholic college in the country with the the usual exception is demanding you take the dead baby vaccine as a condition of not being expelled. How about that?
1: Right. So you have that. Then you have like you talking about these 50% of immigrants from Mexico, central and South America, um, quickly become Protestants here. I have a friend. I first met her when she moved uh, to the United States from Iraq in the nineties. She was a devout Assyrian Christian, um, catholic she uh had a strong devotion to mary now she's baptist really unbelievable unbelievable
0: so So because they don't want they don't want to go to churches where the pastor is gay and what's priest is communism they are better off as protestants i'm going to say that (laughs) mike pence mike pence was better off becoming a conservative evangelical than Tim kaine who kept on going To the the pro-abortion Jesuit parish.
1: I'll disagree with you on this point. There was a great study done many, many years, maybe about 15 years ago, that showed that within 18 months of leaving the Catholic Church for a born-again evangelical experience, uh, and this was done by an evangelical group, um, what's his name, Barna, that Mm -hmm. they are out the door into no church at all. So well, they have this. Okay,
0: then that's bad. I didn't know that. Have Maybe this they is this 18-month
1: They can't stand experience. all the. Fellow,
0: <laughs> they, <laughs> they can't stand all the fellow fellowshipping and the. I think most Catholics
1: and, are like, "This is great." Not really. I'm trying to like it. Okay, so, um, but but this is my question, actually. Knowing that, like, if you like my my obsession, and clearly, John, you're passionate. All those nice Catholics out there who don't like John Smirak. Obviously, you love the church. You know more about the church than me and any nice Catholic I've ever met. You're relentless in writing to defend young Catholics from predators, uh, migrants who are Catholic from economic exploitation, Catholics in other countries who, 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 because of our foreign policies, are being shattered, shattering their regimes, exposing them to uh, uh, genocide when hell was breaking loose in Syria you wouldn't stay out you were texting me calling me emailing me working with people in uh, across the world to bring attention to the plight of our co-religionists in Syria where were the nine okay i don 't want leave the nice Catholics aside
0: the integralists I published nine I published nine apologetics books
1: yeah okay so the integralists who are so concerned about the destiny of people's souls, that they want the power of the state to coerce our faithfulness, where are they on all of these issues that are immediately in front of their face today? Why aren't they there?
0: Right. And I think integralism replaces all that for them. They think, oh, if I adopt this really hardcore position and I attend this really traditional liturgy, I'm doing my part. I'm building a civilization of love and order. And so I don't have to do all that stuff. I remember back in the early 90s, I kind of let myself off. Uh, after being involved with Operation Rescue, I kind of took a five-year vacation from doing pro-life stuff and just promoted Latin masses. I thought, oh, this will do it. This ultimately will build the civilization that will get rid of all these evils. It was just, a, it, was just a, it was just an escape route. It was just a way to not be involved in difficult, unpleasant work, it's a lot nicer to to just go to a Latin mass and go to the coffee hour and trade anti-Semitic pamphlets than it is to have to, like, do sidewalk counseling outside an abortion clinic where literal demons are howling in your ear.
1: I don't know if you remember this. It was about six years ago. We were raising money for... I was raising money for a project in Iraq. I had recently broken my jaw and... um, (laughs) like blood was dripping. Do you remember this? And I was traveling the country. No. It was quite horrible. And um but I was in this donor's house, potential they didn't donate. Potential donor's house, a uh, very devout Catholics, and I was looking out at their their Porsche and their Range Rover, Land Rover. I don't even know anything about car. That British the thing, you know, the thing that wealthy uh
0: that's a that's a, a, a Range Rover. Range
1: Rover, you know that um, wasps drive that, that these Catholics had. So they had their Range Rover and they had their Porsche. Beautiful house, by the way. I adore the couple. And um, I barely had enough money in the hero bank account. Um, we were just funding all these projects, and I barely had enough money for gas and and those cheap hotels to go from donor house to don- donor to you know city to city to meet with donors. And as I was looking out at their beautiful house, and I was pitching them on this project. And literally, I needed just—I money for, we needed money just to keep the show on the road. And they didn't go for the big pitch, and I said, well, could you make a donation of any size? And she goes, you know, I would, Jason, but I just have faith in knowing, and she showed me this prayer card, that I say this prayer every day, and just saying this prayer once, and I say it every day, but just saying it once brings more fruit then all of your busy body work, all of your traveling <laughs> and all of your here I am, like literally am, have a, a jaw that I, was broken, traveling the country. In you know what this pain. is like?
0: You know, this is as if in the gospel, Mary, who just sat at Jesus' seat while Martha did the work. This is as if Mary were throwing peanuts at Martha and mocking her.
1: That's <laughs> what was bizarre. I thank God for those experiences. Like I was literally almost in tears as I was driving out because I was in pain. I was desperate. We had a lot of initiatives I needed to get funding for. And I just said, okay, God, I thank you for this experience, and that was funny. This will be funny one day. One day I'm going to look back at this, and this is going to be funny. Right now I am demoralized. So what you're saying is integralists are just hordes of these folks who are saying – you know, their prayers and advocating religious intolerance, and they're done for the day.
0: Here's what I think. I think Satan is using integralism to derail and hijack people who would otherwise be the most fervent and apostolic Catholics, pro-lifers, patriots, people in the resistance against the tyranny that's being imposed upon us. Um, during During the Nazi occupation of Germany, Most of the right-wing Catholic monarchist types, a lot of them engaged in the resistance. They didn't want German occupation of their country. As bad as the Third Republic had been, they didn't want a genocidal regime of foreigners. But there were some. There were some who said, no, no, the Third Republic was so wicked and so secular that we're better off, under German occupation, arresting our Jewish neighbors. And that was Satan at work. And I think state. Lagrange, right? Right. There were
1: were Catholics that integralists look up today, look up to today that fit that description.
0: Who said that Pétain was the legitimate government in France and he should not be part of the resistance. These people, some of them may be sincere, some of them I think are psychologically traumatized by the collapse of the papacy, the collapse of the episcopacy, the virtual collapse of the visible church. The visible church is fading into invisibility before our very eyes. And that's traumatic. So I think some of them, for that, they're looking to Scott Hahn and, and the way a fatherless boy in the ghetto might look to Iron Man. But uh, Iron Man isn't real, and integralism isn't true, and you're wasting your time. Get busy, do something.
1: All right, John, I think that's a great place to end. And I like how you ended it there, because right there now, finally, I saw a real glimpse at your passion for integralism. It's that it's, they're chasing away, it's, it's, it's sedating the folks that we would have to our left and our right.
0: That's right. People who ought to be with us, uh, trying to get the January 6th protesters out of solitary confinement, trying to defend the Second Amendment, trying to stop Bruce Jenner from becoming mainstream in the Republican party try, trying to stop marxist black uh, black uh, liberation theology i call it communism in blackface trying to stop that from being taught in our schools trying to stop kids from being sexually molested either by priests by jesuits or by members of the san francisco gay men's chorus you know what i'm doing right now behind the scenes i'm trying to stop that concert of pedophiles at that Jesuit parish in San Francisco. I'm trying to make that public sufficient so that we can avoid this blasphemy. I'm not imagining that the Protestant church down the road from me is a blasphemy and fantasizing about using the police to stop it. I'm trying to stop the profanation of a Catholic altar by a bunch of pedophiles. Why don't you get busy and join me people?
1: Yeah. And by the way, uh, four years ago when they were fantasizing about, uh, the Catholic Caliphate, you were working behind the scenes to get our policy changed to protect Christians in Syria, and it worked.
0: Yeah, we and did I, actually stop a genocide of Christians by al-Qaeda jihadists in northern Syria. We got Trump to protect, to push back against Turkey, which wanted to unleash jihadists on the Christians of northeastern Syria. That's what I try to do. I hope other people will figure out what they can do, actually do, that actually helps the body of Christ, and that they'll go do that instead.
1: Not that you're not going to Mass and praying, you know? Right. But you're not assuming, as Frank Pavone says, Father Frank Pavone, if you're praying to God about all of these issues, then unless you plugged your ears, you, mu- you must be hearing him tell you to get to work. Right. Right, right. obviously. All right, John, anything else you want to conclude with before I, I, I wrap this up?
0: Well, please keep reading me at the stream. My current article is called Will the Remaining Decent Americans Drown in Denial? And it's illustrated with a picture of the gathering swine galloping into the sea.
1: And that's what the show is really about. After uh, reading that article, I uh, and, and you wanted to come on here and talk about this, I wanted to wake up nice Christians. I just don't think... I almost have no hope in waking up the nice people.
0: Well, if if Jesuits singing about raping kids doesn't wake them up then I think they're actually in a coma.
1: All right on that note, John. And with that, I'd like to All, <laughs> all right, right, God all bless you. Right. Later, brother. Right, God you bless. Oh. All right, guys. Now I want to wrap it up with this because this is as I'm listening to John talk, this is what I'm thinking about. First of all, this uh, choir if the people I am most concerned with, with this LGBTQ ideology nonsense in the Catholic Church is how disrupting it is to faithful Catholics who have same-sex attraction. How by forcing a, a war on the settled teaching of the church, which by the way, as John makes clear, one doesn't need r- revealed religion to understand that sex is ordered for procreation and the care of life created. Um, So we don't even need to appeal to our faith to know that sex is for creating life and marriage is for caring for the life you've created through the marital act. Um, So by creating, uh, by continuing to push this culture war, it is pushing young people that feel they have same-sex attraction, or all these other uh, attractions that I don't know what they're talking about. I'm confused. It's bizarre to me. Um, And it's alienating them from their church and from God. Also, I I don't think there is any doubt that James Martin is involved in a massive grooming operation. Period. Period. And uh, I don't understand why nice Catholics are not offended by this, or is it that you are just afraid of being, uh, uh, sent to, uh, you know, leper island, that you become a social outcast, a pariah, whatever, so what, um, the temptation to integralism, I, I don't have any temptation to integralism, I have other temptations, not, not that, not that. um, But to me, in this time where we're seeing the banisters that we hold as we're trying to walk out of the dark abyss, um, as they seem to be crumbling beneath our hands, and we don't know where to grasp, we don't know how to orient ourselves, How, how should we orient our direction? And I say it's just very simple. And I always think, right now I'm touching it, I'm looking at it. My, my scapular has uh, the Blessed Virgin from the Pieta. The Pieta, which is um, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, God become man, laying across uh, the lap of his mother, who is a creature created out of all eternity by the Trinity, a creature a human being a person and across her across her lap is her child on um, the second person of the trinity incarnate lifeless so to me that is the symbol of of the life of the christian that we should seek to serve those who are vulnerable that we live in a world I mean, centuries are artificial markings, right? You look at the 20th century. If you read my book with John, The Race to Save Our Century, people say it's such a depressing. The first part of that book, part one, is very depressing. We lay out in a sorrowful detail the genocides, democides, and total wars of the 20th century. And when we started working on that book in the early 2000s, we were arguing that the 21st century would be bloodier, more tyrannical. Our publishers thought it was over the top. And now, already, in 2021, uh, and you have to remember, 1921, most of the hell had not erupted just 100 years ago. Most of the hell had not broken loose. But now, in 2021, we can look to the genocides that erupted across the Middle East, what's happening in Africa, what's happening in Israel and Palestine today. Today, uh, the war drums with Russia and the war drums with China, then the genocide, the ethnic cleansing of the Uyghur, the partnership of American corporations in this ethnic cleansing, and then one can look to IBM and American banks and the Holocaust. Hmm. So I just, I think it should be very simple for Christians. We shouldn't be confused. We shouldn't be despairing. We have our marching orders, which is just a radical commitment to the vulnerable. Stand up against the spirit of the age, which means sooner or later, inevitably, you will become indistinguishable to the violent from the vulnerable you're serving, which means you will suffer like them. There is no way to live the life, a true life of solidarity with those who are truly vulnerable, thinking that you are going to avoid the cruelty of the mob. Bishop Barron, at best, thinks there is a way to be a Christian today and remain accepted in polite society. I saw one of Bishop Barron's priests who was clearly on anabolic steroids. And let me tell you, as a young man, I engaged in sports, I was around people who did performance enhancing drugs. I experimented, not for long, maybe like, you know, three months once, and then in high school, a little bit, Um, you know, when you know, you know, so this priest is clearly taking testosterone replacement therapy, he likes to lift weights, and he was talking about Rene Girard, Girard is, if you listen to this podcast, you hear me talk about Girard a lot, and so, um, in his mimetic theory, Girard's mimetic theory, so to see a priest, priest bodybuilder priest talk about gerard that's funny talk about mimesis right it's comical and he was asked well you know how is gerard influenced how is gerard influenced the word on fire ministry and he he kept going it was like a fundraising pitch he actually began by reading off a teleprompter for a, a panel on zoom which was to me utterly bizarre and orwellian uh, so he's reading off a teleprompter, but then, but then when he in the Q and A, he he said that, you know, we look the word on fire to present Bishop Barron as a model to be imitated, not Jesus Christ, not the saints, but Bishop Barron, and so many nice Catholics love Bishop Barron. Why? Because he presents an acceptable model. For polite society, well, if you are modeling yourself after Bishop Barron, and someone sent me a a message this week that they're through with me because of my article on Bishop Barron, that he's such a bright guy, he's a dilettante. I'm a dilettante. I'm not gallivanting around, taking silly photos of myself and posting them on the line, trying to present myself as always like you know, deep in thought, Bishop. But if you think you're going to model yourself after Bishop Barron of be of any use to the truly vulnerable, you're, you're nuts, or that you're going to, um, or that you're going to be successful in sharing the faith, because I don't think it's attractive. It's attractive to Catholics who want to be safe Catholics. And I got an email from a Protestant this week too that said, "Jason, I love your show. You know, your show is is a very Catholic show. I guess it is." You know, I guess I don't know how I cannot make it a Catholic podcast today. Because there's so much trauma and trouble happening in and through the church that I just feel I, I wish there were other things I could be well, next week well, next week, this week, the show's coming out. I'm recording it on a Sunday. It's Monday when you're listening to it. And I'm on my way to Washington, DC to do what it is my real job. Right? My real job is very simple. My mission statement is to defend the vulnerable from violence by inspiring solidarity with the vulnerable and promoting the inviolable dignity of the human person. That's my job. That's why I make movies, write articles, have, write books, give speeches. That's why I started this podcast. And as a young atheist, I was attracted to Catholicism. I was lost. As an atheist, I had, by the way, I had this mission as an atheist. Right? I actually founded my organization before I was a Christian, the Human Rights Education and Relief Organization, with the same mission, same mission. But I was an atheist, and I wanted to understand the source and nature of human dignity. And I looked to theodicy. I looked to, rev- I looked to, to reason, actually. I wanted to know the nature of God and the nature of man. I wanted to come to know the source of human dignity and if there's a God without appealing to God. Revealed religion, any revealed religion, any revelation. I just wanted philosophy to know God, and I wanted philosophy to know man. So I was kind of drifting from my I mind. Mean, I was agnostic, I would say. I went from militant atheist to agnostic. And, you know, Mark Twain says an agnostic is an atheist who's afraid to say it out loud because then God would hear him. So I, I became sort of frustrated that, to me, looking at a human being, it was self-evident their beauty, their dignity, their worth. Angus, for you, their inviolable dignity, beautiful and worth. Uh, But I could not find anything that didn't appeal to revealed religion to support that. That led me to becoming Christian. And then after years of persecuting the church, studying, studying, I became Catholic, assented to the truth of the Catholic church. Which I hold to to this day, and God forgive me, I was I was I just wanted to be useful. I because I'm a Christian, I'm a person of our age. There's one thing that all of us know. I knew this when I was an atheist. Christians would say to me, "Jason, God loves you," and I'd say, "Of course He does. If He's out there, He loves me. I'm lovable." I I knew that, right? We all know that, and they or you know, I, I if there's a God, I was going to heaven. I knew that. We all knew that. We suffer from the sin of presumption. That is that's that's the temptation of the age, right? All of us know God loves us. All of us know we're going to heaven. Okay. So You know, Orthodox Catholics would chastise me rightly that I need to care more about my salvation than my apostolate. Or as my spiritual director would say, your apostolate should be the overflow of your interior life, which for me, to be honest, is very rarely the case. What attracted me to Catholicism was not that for me, it would be the gateway to eternity with God, but that it gave me a source for understanding the dignity of my neighbor and a playbook to how to live a better life and showing love for my neighbor. I took as my patron saint, St. Maximilian Kolbe, a martyr of love, who gave his life for another in a concentration camp in Auschwitz. So that is why... I've been obsessing in these past couple of weeks. It's become a very Catholic podcast because what has most attracted me to the Catholic church is Mirak put it. It's disappearing before my very eyes. I belong to this prestigious little Catholic organization that gave out an award every year for, uh, people, men or women. They'd give out this award every year for, uh, Uh, Catholics who lived a life in defending the vulnerable from violence. They got rid of that award recently, you know. Um, Catholic apostolates that were on the front lines of standing up against the spirit of the age have seemed to just disappear or be captured by the spirit of the age. Entire religious orders. Bishop Barron writes an article where he says that, you know, if Democrats are going to continue to support infanticide. Can we really have dialogue on abortion? Catholic Democrats, can we please have dialogue? He did a sleight of hand abandoning the child in the womb for its first nine months, and thoughtful, intelligent Catholics that I respect, that are close friends, fell for that crap. Bishop Barron's apostolate co-brands him uses the propaganda technique of transference with people like Chesterton and Fulton Sheen to build his brand. When Fulton Sheen stood up against the spirit of the age every time he opened his mouth. If you guys don't know who Bishop Fulton Sheen is, go to YouTube, Google Bishop Fulton Sheen. You'll never listen to this podcast again. I'll have lost you forever. Because you'll just, there's endless hours of this man saying the most relevant things the most relevant things for today, and he was saying them in 1954, and 1946, in 1938 he was saying these things. And you can find it all on YouTube. Um, so where are those heroes in the hierarchy that are standing up against the spirit of the age for those who are truly outcast, those who are truly vulnerable? And the way things are being framed It's quite frustrating for me. You know, again, like this whole thing with this choir in San Francisco. Who does this choir in San Francisco singing at a Catholic church, this gay men's choir, who does it pose the greatest threat to? Young Catholics with same-sex attraction. Who does the bishops promoting, promotion of, who do the bishops threaten most? With their promotion of the status quo when it comes to our border policy. Vulnerable migrants trapped into a dangerous underground economy. That is not a talking point. I say it all the time. It is a real thing. Think about it. You know, my office, my studio, that was made soundproof by this couple, um, Mexicans, they immigrated to this country legally. Uh, the husband didn't speak any English. They were big Trump supporters, by the way, huge. And one day I asked her why she was supporting Trump so vigorously. She said, well, I'm pro-life, you know, I'm Catholic. And also because of immigration. And this took me back. It took me, she said, do you know all these wedos, w- these wedo contractors, white, white contractors, um, they hire illegals to compete with my husband, me and my husband. So they're, they're, they're using illegals to undercut us. How sorrowful, right? How sorrowful new immigrants from Mexico being undercut because large contractors hiring illegal immigrants, paying them God knows what, undercut these new immigrants. By the way, they did a great job. I love my office. I hope I, hope I have more things for them to come here and build. Um, so, again, it's the victimism. It's the feigning concern for the vulnerable, whether it's in border policy, on Eucharist for pro Bo- Oh, oh, okay, and then I'll end on this. And this has been a long meandering show. But it, when we're debating the Eucharist communion, for those of you who aren't Catholic, and the reception of the Eucharist by politicians, Catholic politicians, who publicly advocate the intentional destruction of the child in the womb, who do I worry about most? politicians who are receiving communion in a state of moral sin, right? Being told they don't need to go to confession, that it's not a sin, that they don't need to publicly repent from this position. But see, it's different than a normal sin that you do in private. You go to confession, you're good. If you're publicly advocating something like this, then you need to go to confession, but then you need to publicly confess as well, Right? So Ted Kennedy didn't need to publicly confess all those things we knew he needed to confess, but he sure as heck would need to publicly confess his position on abortion. Which, by the way, I shouldn't say it. Can't say it. Almost slipped. <laughs> almost slipped. Well, guys, that was that. that was a, a a long episode. It's been an hour and forty eight minutes. As a filmmaker, I always try to wrap up every. I don't know if you noticed this. With my ADHD and dyslexia, it might seem like it's going all over the place, but I am quite conscious of the three-act structure. And you know, in a film, you need to tie up all the loose ends. And we had a lot of uh, subplots in today's story. Integralism, the gay men's choir. And so I was was thinking, I got to tie up all these loose ends. How do we tie them all? I hope I did. I hope I put a little bow on it there. And again, I appreciate the messages and the comments. And uh, thanks to the gentleman who sent those questions for John Zmirak. And I hope you like the answers. And again, feel free to comment. And we will respond to your questions. All right, this episode is being brought to you by MyPillow. Go to MyPillow.com and get a deep discount. And this month's special is two for one on those marvelous Giza Dream Sheets. Also, For those of you who are integralists and you want to escape from the temptation of being a nasty, little, effeminate LARPer, how's that for a sales pitch? Go to thegreatcampaign.org and become a monthly donor. When you become a monthly donor with the Great Campaign, with the Vulnerable People Project at thegreatcampaign.org, you can stand shoulder to shoulder with us as we advocate for the truly vulnerable from the child in the womb to the Uyghur and the CCP concentration camps in East Turkestan and across China. I am, as you're listening to this on an airplane, headed to Washington, D.C., where I will be all week doing what is really the heart of my mission. I will be meeting with groups from all over the world to hear about their different battles, to see how we can help them. And uh, I'm bringing this Roadcaster Pro, I'm bringing several mics, I'm going to set them up. And so hopefully this week you will be getting a lot of great interviews. So until next time, it's the Jason Jones Show.
0: This has been the Jason Jones Show. Powered by Mudhouse Media.